0: This is Truth, Justice and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman and Superman-related comics. I'm Grant Richter and this is episode 24. Please, yeah! Truth and Justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we are going to talk about action comics number 964 from September 28th, 2016, and Supergirl number two from October 12th, 2016. Um, now, usually I this is where I would jump into the Fortress of Solitude segment, but uh, last week, I put out a special, like very short mini episode, like 12 minutes long, where I talked about the uh, recent news out of the Supreme Court, and I did a bit of a deep dive into that. Um, for those of you that don't, you know, follow politics as as tightly as I do, um, as obsessively as I do, I should probably say. And so that everybody could kind of understand what is not just the immediate effects of it, but what the long-term effects of it are, and how we can hopefully you know push back and negate those effects uh, later on this year. And I'm counting that as the Fortress of Solitude segment for this episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, I would highly recommend you go do so just for informational purposes. Um, but that means, because the segment's already done, that we can jump straight into some comics. So let us do so. Action Comics 964, let me find the credits, is written by Dan Jurgens with art by Patrick Zercher. It is colored by Ulysses Ariola, and Rob Lee is the letterer. Clayman and Tomei Mori, with Dan Jurgens did the main cover and Gary Frank and Brad Anderson did the variant Now, the main cover is amazing; it looks like somebody took a strip of ribbon and wrapped it in a spiral pattern to and then the the outside of the ribbon makes up Superman's face. But then, and which is all in color. But then the inside of the ribbon, which is in black and white, you can see little bits of the mysterious other Clark Kent's face. And if you're new to the show and you don't know about the mysterious other Clark Kent, I will fill you in shortly. And then behind them, there's this amazing background where it is a series of like golden circles with this kind of, alien slash divine technology in it kind of think of like um zariel's armor from jla and then inside the circles are four superman shields and then the shields are all connected at at the 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 angles along the top so that they they connect along the top and they make a square in between them And then inside that square is another smaller circle of that alien divine technology. It it does kind of remind me of Motherbox a little bit, so maybe more like New Genesis type technology. And then in the bottom is a skyline of Metropolis, but the buildings are all rendered in what I think is supposed to be German minimalistic art uh, or kind of like the art on those... Uh, early, uh, communist propaganda posters, you know, with the, with the, the figure that's, you know, very minimalistic, but the sledgehammer over his shoulder and then the dun 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 in the background. Yes. It's a a visual medium and you know exactly what I mean by dun 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 dun. But yeah, it is amazing. I'm definitely going to make this the, the, uh, the cover art for this episode. The variant cover is equally cool by Gary Frank. And it is of Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, only uh, on one side of it, our left is Superman, and then on our right is Clark Kent. And then instead of uh, astrological symbols, or I forget what's in the background of Vitruvian Man, honestly, but instead of that is the Daily Planet. And then the whole thing is rendered as in sepia, so that it looks like it's on old parchment. It's very cool. I still like the the main cover a little better, but the variant is equally awesome. And so we open. Oh, but before we open, let's backtrack for those of you that are new. So a main theme, especially of this series between the two Superman series, this theme runs, you know, pretty strongly. But I would say even in Action Comics, it is even more prolific that. The Superman, the, the Clark Kent, and Lois Lane that are on, that are prominent now, are not from this universe. So the pre Flashpoint Superman and pre Flashpoint Lois Lane were saved from the disillusion of their universe at Flashpoint and brought to the new 52 universe at the end of Convergence, and they were deposited in the New 52 universe 10 years ago, like story-wise, like not, not publication time. They've only been in this universe publication-wise for about a year. But as far as the story goes, um, like, for example, Clark was there to see the formation of the New 52 Justice League, which I think was supposed to be 10 years ago. And they came in with their infant son, John, who is now 10. So, yeah, that tracks that it's been about 10 years. And because there already was a Clark Kent and because there already was a Lois Lane in the new 52 universe, uh, our Lois and Clark laid low. They used assumed identities. Clark continued superheroing, though kind of in stealth mode. He did it undercover. He wore a different suit. He had a beard. It's awesome. I have an action figure of it. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. Um, And then after a new 52 Superman died, our Clark began uh, resuming his activities as Superman again, and almost immediately encountered a mysterious other, Clark Kent, who for all intents and purposes appears to be completely human, uh, And just as Superman is confused by the presence of this Clark, this Clark is confused by the presence of Superman um, because everyone knows that New 52 Superman died. And adding to the confusion is the fact that everyone also knew that New 52 Superman and New 52 Clark Kent were the same person. And so this has been an ongoing mystery throughout this series so far. Um, last issue of Action Comics, Superman finally confronted this Clark and said, we have to talk just as Mysterious Other Clark was running from goons at Geneticron, which is a you know, some kind of mysterious science company that is up to no good. So as we open the book now, uh, Superman has taken Other Clark to his other Fortress of Solitude, which was introduced in the Lois and Clark miniseries that we covered in uh, episodes two through five of this show, I believe. And at that point, our Clark did not have access to the main Fortress of Solitude, the Fortress of Solitude of the New 52 Superman. He since has had access to it, um, but he built this kind of makeshift fortress. It's somewhere up in the mountains. I remember it being said in the, I think it was in the Death of New 52 Superman story arc, exactly where his makeshift fortress is. Um, I thought it maybe said the Rockies, but maybe it looks so high up, it looks like it's probably more like the Himalayas. So let's just say the Himalayas. And uh, other Clark is here and he's got a, like a leather jacket on and he's saying, you know, I'm freezing. And our Superman says, well, you know, it's not like we're in the Arctic after all, which is kind of our our shortcut. So that Juergens is reminding us that this is not the main fortress. And I, I have to commend Jurgens for coming back to this fortress. Juergens does kind of the same thing that Chris Claremont does. Where once he establishes an idea, whether nobody else uses it or not, by damn, he is going to come back and he is going to use that idea repeatedly. And so, you know, in the main Superman book that um, that Tomasi and uh, Gleason are writing, he has visited the main fortress several times now, or at least one significant time where they encountered the uh, the Eradicator. But here we have Clark returning to the fortress that Jurgens established. And I have to respect that. And so there is uh, quite a bit of back and forth between uh, Superman and Clark. And uh, basically, Superman is trying to find out exactly who this Clark is. Now, one thing that's significant is... This Clark does not know that Superman is Clark Kent, or at least appears not to know. And so they go into the, the, the let's just say the Himalayan fortress, and you know, we have this big crystal statue of Jor-El and Lara. We have an updated version of the Kryptonian war suit. We, we have what looks like a giant bonsai plant. Over over to one side, we have something that kind of looks like a a uh, like an Amazonian purple ray sticking out, and then two Clark's two Supermans left. We have a display case with the Oblivion Stone, and that is not significant to this issue, but I do respect that it's here. We are going to see it come up again. It was something that came up in the Lois and Clark miniseries, and for those that have you. So as the, those of you that have been watching Superman and Lois, it is a significant um, plot point slash MacGuffin in this season as well. They just started referring to it as the Oblivion Stone and I think, the last episode of the show. And I don't think it's going to be doing the same thing there that it does that it ends up doing later on here in this series. But I thought it was a nice little touch point. And so they're walking through the fortress and um, this Clark is very suspicious of Superman because, again, the Superman that everyone knows died. And then this Superman just shows up and Superman is very obviously suspicious of Clark. So their conversation is very terse with each other. They are... Superman is not exactly being friendly to Clark. He's being polite. Um But, you know, Clark starts getting in his face. Superman says he wants to... Uh, Superman tells Kellex to bl- bring out the Globe of Revelation. And um basically what it does is it shows a person's truest memories. And Clark is... Not thrilled about this. He says, Oh, shouldn't we be more worried about the goons who tried to kill me? And Superman says, Geneticron security staff went too far and I'll deal with them. But you did break into their building. So Superman's kind of both sidings this one. And Clark gets mad and says, the Superman I knew, knew that they were dangerous. Uh, he says, that's why he sent me into hiding, took my place and told the world he was. And then Superman just says, enough. The globe will clarify everything and um, Superman's thinking to himself I can't tell him what I'm really after the true nature of who he is now I've mentioned since we started covering Lois and Clark uh, not the 90s television show but the 2015 eight-part miniseries that Jurgen's version of Superman in this era as of this point is a little less. Not. I'm gonna say less virtuous. Because, but he is. Mm, I don't even really have the words for it. He's not any less of a good guy. But he is willing to go a little further to protect his secret and Lois and John's secret, and to guarantee his family's safety. And it, I'm not saying it's out of character, but it is slightly different. This is a when it comes to the security of his family, he is more stern, I would say, than what we're used to saying. I would almost say that this Superman is more neutral good than lawful good, you know, still very much on the good spectrum, but maybe half a step down. Like, he's willing to make some some minor ethical sacrifices to protect his family, which I can't blame him for, but it is definitely a somewhat different take. And of course, we've always had a Superman who's had to lie a little bit to protect his Clark Kent identity, which I think makes the Bendis run interesting, um, which we will eventually get to. Spoilers. Superman reveals his secret identity to the world in Bendis' run, which I kind of like and I kind of don't. I have a lot of mixed feelings about the Bendis run. Um, But Superman says he's trying to trust Clark, but he has to admit that it's a remarkably odd situation. And there's a, a lot of back and forth about, he's like, well, imagine how I feel I was sent by Superman into hiding and then he dies and then you show up and I don't know who you are and you ask me to trust you, but you're being dodgy with my questions. And yeah, it is, it is definitely something. It is, it's a, it's a tense dynamic between the two of them. And so, um, uh, and so Kellex brings out this big floating globe thing, and it's on this cool stand that looks like it's, it looks like it's it's made out of gold, but it also kind of shaped like a plant, and it's very neat. And uh, it's this big swirling thing right in the middle of it. And Clark asks, well, "What if I refuse to do this?" And Superman says, "That's your right, of course, but there are mysteries that will still go unanswered." And Clark says, I don't see any mysteries because I know exactly who I am. And Clark goes, wait a minute, you think I'm super I'm our I'm my Superman, the Superman I know, come back to life. And Superman says, The thought occurred to me. So that's when Clark goes, Okay, fine. To prove to you I am not Superman, I will do this. And so he puts his hands on the globe and it begins glowing and it's there's a neat close-up of Clark's face and the globe is glowing in his glasses so you can't see his eyes Uh, now meanwhile we cut back to Geneticron and like Superman said Clark had broken into Geneticron to find out what was going on with that company because he'd been and he says he'd been investigating them before new 52 Superman sent him into hiding and he'd gone back there And he'd gotten caught, and the guards tried to kill him. It wasn't a, hey, there's an intruder, catch him and hold him for the cops. It was like, we're going to kill this guy. Um, So outside of Geneticron, there's a guard or a truck driver or something, and they're standing around. They're looking for Clark. But then somebody comes up behind him and grabs him by the face and smacks him down to the ground. And it's a guy uh, with a beard and long hair and a red hat. And he puts something on a on a wall. I guess maybe it's one of the doors of this of a, like a loading dock. And it kind of sort of looks like a bomb. And it, it attaches to the wall and it starts glowing. And that's all we know about it for now. Now, we saw this guy with the red hat last issue of Action Comics. When Clark gave a, or I should say, when Lex, who is the new owner of the Daily Planet gave a press conference to have Clark reintroduce himself to the world. Um, this guy with the red hat was in the audience. And like I said last time that I read um, when i in the last episode where we talked about this series, like I said at that time, when I read this for the first time, and I saw the guy in the red hat, given that given when this these issues came out, in the buildup to the 2016 presidential election, I thought this the symbolism of the red hat was supposed to be something else. Apparently, it's not. Apparently, it's just coincidence, but it is a strong coincidence as far as I'm concerned. And so we go back to the Himalayan fortress, and Clark is holding on to the globe, and I'm going to read you Clark's dialogue. He goes, I was three months old when a natural gas leak blew up our house and killed my parents. Miraculously, I survived. But an orphan child left alone with no other family? What possible chance uh, at any kind of life did I have? Most kids in those circumstances wouldn't have much hope. The Kents changed all that when they adopted me. I could not have asked for a better upbringing with two more wonderful, nurturing, and loving parents. And then there's a shot of Ma and Pa holding young Clark on the farm. And Clark goes on to say that upbringing was reinforced by life on the farm right outside of Smallville. I learned freedom and independence, the value and meaning of life. My friends like Pete Ross, Kenny Braverman, ah, another Juergens callback. For those of you that are 90 Superman aficionados, that's conduit. So, Like I said, <laughs> Juergens will, will return to previously established things of his, which, you know, pretty great. Uh, And he also goes on to mention Lana Lang. Well, I treasure the time we spent together. And there's a shot of Clark and Lana just kind of walking or running across the farm. And then it says, the day came when college took me away from home. It was a period of growth and self-discovery, which prepared me well for when I joined the Daily Planet. And then there's a shot of Clark, Perry, Jimmy, and Lois. And the Lois that they're showing here, I would assume that this is supposed to be reminiscent of New 52 Lois because she does have black hair as opposed to our Lois's brown hair. And so uh, Superman's watching and he's thinking, you know, he's thinking, how can this be? And the globe is showing him all these images. So we are seeing this other Clark's memories, apparently. And then Clark goes on to say, that good life was turned upside down the day Superman took me to the Rockies. He said my investigation of Geneticron had put me in grave danger. He offered to take my place. His solution was to let the world think we were one until he took down Geneticron. And not so and that is supposed to explain how the new 52 Superman was outed as Clark if this guy thinks he is Clark. And he goes, but not long after that he lost his powers. He, his plan to help me went up in smoke as he tried to deal with his own problems. Suddenly, he stopped coming. I realized something must, bad must have happened, so I left the cabin. It wasn't until I got back to Metropolis that I heard the unimaginable. My friend Superman was dead. And uh, Kellex confirms that the globe can only identify true memories. And so if these memories aren't true this Clark certainly believes they are. So pretty fascinating stuff. And Kellex does a, does a bio scan of him. He says he's human, no metagene present, Present cholesterol levels acceptable, but in the high range, BMI acceptable, uh, scar from an appendix removal and a fractured arm healing well. And so, yeah, the, everything confirms that this Clark really is human And he believes he is who he says he is. And so Superman just turns away and says, you know, you clearly believe what you claim. And so Superman still doesn't believe it's true. He believes that this Clark believes it's true. But obviously, you know, this can't be the real Clark Kent. But Superman can't say that, right? He can't give up his secret. And so he has to be cold and distant because he's trying not to lie. But he doesn't want to get he doesn't want to tell the whole truth. And so um, they just stand there and they just face each other for a minute in this uncomfortable silence. And Clark says, it works both ways, you know, just who are you anyway? When are you going to come clean? And he says, I can see that you're a bit older than he was. When are you going to tell us where you came from? And again, I pointed this out before that our Superman is a little bit older than New 52 Superman, (laughs) and this Clark looks exactly like our Clark. And so it does kind of hit an editorial bump to say that, you know, let's just say, for example, that this is a real version of Clark Kent somehow. Now if you've read the, if you've read the story you know how this turns out. But let's just say hypothetically that this is supposed to be a real other Clark Kent. It doesn't quite make sense that if he's a little bit older than Superman, maybe 10 years older, that they would be a close enough match for each other that Superman could take this Clark's place. Maybe I don't know. But that is one my one little quibble. With uh, with this version of things, and so uh, Superman says, "You know, you're right. You deserve some trust. I'm gonna, I'm gonna extend an olive branch." So what he does is he gives Clark a signal watch. He says, "If you never need, it, if you're ever in trouble with Geneticron or anybody else, hit this button. There's a signal here only I can hear, and I'll come running." And Superman is thinking to himself. In his internal dialogue, the old adage often proves true. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And as he's thinking this, Clark says to himself, says out loud, you think I can't take care of myself. But right, right after Superman thinks of Clark as an enemy, he corrects himself and he goes, not that he's an enemy, just someone I can't explain. And so again, this is a Superman, in my, in my interpretation, who's starting to slip a little bit. Where the the natural the mm, not the ideology of him, but the um, just the gen, the generosity of him, the the charitability of him. That's more what I'm looking for to say. It's not coming as naturally. He's having to stop and check himself. He's getting more, I would say, more cynical. And so he's having to stop himself and, go, and think, you know, the thoughts that immediately occur to him are not the thoughts he he wants to have. And I think in a way that makes him a little more relatable because we're all like that, right? We all have thoughts we don't want to, that we're not proud of. And so we have to stop and check ourselves. You know, you, you maybe have this disparaging thought about someone who just gets on your nerves and maybe you think something very uncharitable about them and you have to go, no, that's not that's not the right way to think, you know, back up and let's redirect. And that's what our Superman's having to do here. And it's, that's not normally how we think of Superman, but it is a really interesting take, in my opinion. And so Superman says, let's just say I know how easy it is for a good investigative journalist to get in over his head. And so Kellex interrupts then and says, Sir, I was able to access Geneticron's network and found something you should know. And he pulls up a holographic display of Doomsday in his green, um, like, oversuit with the red goggles wrapped up in those big cables with a bunch of Geneticron guys standing around and scanning them. And, uh, and Kellex says, this is, their, this is from their security camera. They were holding Doomsday and at least one other until these men broke in and took him and unleashed him on Metropolis anyway. So that's interesting. We don't know who that other is. That is a good bit of foreshadowing. And if you were just skimming this, you might have missed it. So pretty fun. And so this confirms what other Clark is saying, that Genetochron is up, definitely up to no good. And uh, Clark says, why would they keep that monster? What would they hope to gain? And Superman says that's what he intends to find out. So Superman takes Clark and flies him back to Metropolis to the Geneticron building. And the building itself is gone. It's like it's been it's like been teleported out. It's not like it was never there, but it's like all the all the under structure that would be beneath the building is still there. But the building itself is gone. And there's green energy crackling all around, so it definitely looks like it got teleported out. Jimmy's there. Uh, Superman flies down to Jimmy, and Jimmy says, This morning, just as the first employees were about to enter, there was a flash of light, and the building vanished. Um, And Clark says, You're telling me an entire building can disappear like it was never there? And Superman says, I don't know, but I damn sure intend to find out. And Superman thinks to himself, the mysteries add up. The question is, are they connected? And then we see an article that this Clark writes later for the planet. And I'm going to read it to you. It's entitled, My Day with Superman. And we see shots of everybody from, we see a shot of Clark writing it on his computer. We see Perry looking it over. We see Lex reading it on his phone. Lois reading it on her computer, and people in Metropolis reading it on their phones and computers. And it says, a couple of weeks ago, we were told that Superman died. As is befitting of a hero of his stature, we mourned his death. But an unforeseen aspect of that is this writer was thought dead as well. And though it didn't take place as, on as a grand a scale, I too was mourned because Superman told you that he and I were one and the same. It is my good fortune to let you know that I am alive and well. My thanks to Superman because he stepped in to replace me due to a life threatening story I was working on. We were never the same person and I never had any powers, as my broken arm and high blood pressure easily prove. The notion of one man leading two lives is essentially absurd, as we all know how hard it is to lead one. Which, and again, I don't know how much of Jurgen's run Bendis got a chance to read, because I know Bendis <laughs> doesn't really pay attention to other bits of continuity that come before whatever he's doing. But it feels like what happens after Action Comics 1000 is based a lot, somewhat on what the conflicts that Jurgens was establishing in Action Comics. So moving on. It says, the fact that I'm here doesn't mean Superman is alive and well. Not our Superman anyway. No, our Superman is dead, but in his place, we have a new Superman. I don't have all the details, but there's no doubt that this man is every bit the Superman, perhaps more so than the one we knew. He's every bit as powerful, courageous, and heroic as the man we lost. Our Superman came from far away away to protect us. So did this one. And in talking to him, one can't help but get the feeling that there's a little more depth to this man. That he's seen his share of tragedy and good fortune. I can't help but feel like this is a dig at New 52 Superman. Maybe. I don't know. I think Jorgen's going, eh, This is. You know, I, I know I wrote that Superman for a short arc, but that Superman not as good as my Superman. Okay. Maybe. Maybe not. Anyway. Um, I don't know much more than that. I don't know where exactly he came from or where he goes when he's not working on our behalf. I only know that we're fortunate to have him. This is a dangerous world, one that is getting more dangerous by the day with a multitude of threats aimed our way. If we didn't have Superman, we'd certainly wish we did. It's dangerous for Superman as well. I can't imagine living with the kind of pressure he deals with, or living with the knowledge that because a Superman has enemies, those close to him are at risk and must constantly worry about their well-being no even if i had powers i never could have been superman i'm not that selfless when you come down to it precious few of us are so willing or able to sacrifice that much of ourselves but having spent most of the day with him i know he is willing and capable of making that sacrifice which means we need to welcome him as the hero that he is the superman that he is here to protect us from all kinds of threats because we know those threats lurk around every corner Metropolis and the entire world need their greatest hero. We all do. And so uh, part of what is interspersed with this article is a scene of Superman flying home, uh, meeting Lois and John at their house in Hamilton County, and showing him a secret passage that he's built from their basement, to the, which leads to a tunnel with a futuristic motorcycle slash trolley car that leads to a secret exit a few miles away so that Lois and John can sneak out of the house if the house is ever attacked, and uh Clark can change into Superman and fly away without being noticed leaving the house now, after that, we see another scene of the long haired guy with a red hat returning to his hotel unlocking his room opening the door and then going into the room which is filled with a giant image of the planet apocalypse with fire pits aglow and a gigantic superman shield right in the center of the planet and red hat guy says the path is clear the only answer is death and that is the it that is it for the issue this was pretty cool. This, you know, it's it's not an action-packed issue, but it's a very drama-packed issue. And I, much like the Bendis run of Superman, I have mixed feelings about the resolution of the mysterious other Clark. I think it's cool. I think it kind of comes out of nowhere, which is... The same thought I have about the revelation of who Mister Oz is, who we haven't talked about this issue, but we will talk be talking about him again soon. I think it's neat, um, and I, I neither like it nor dislike it. I just think it's I just think it's interesting, and it has some pretty cool applications. So, um, I don't think we're going to be touching back on mystery other Clark for a few issues of this series. I think it's gonna be let's see, this is September no yeah. Yeah, September. I don't think Mystery Clark is dealt with until March of 2017. So we've got a ways to go at the pace that I cover these books with alternate with the with the reading rotation. So and that's you know both that's a good thing because that gets a lot gives gives us lots of of material to talk about so that is it for this issue i'm going to go take a sponsor break and then i'll be back to talk about supergirl number two and we're back so let's jump into supergirl number two the creatives on this are steve orlando as writer brian shing is artist mike atia a t i y e h a t a maybe as colorist and Steve Wands as letterer. The main cover is by Ching and Attea, and the variant is by Bengal, one word, Bengal. And the main cover is of Supergirl floating in the air, firing a heat vision beam down at the new cyborg Superman who is still flying but yet above her and firing a beam of heat vision up at her. And their beams are meeting in the middle with a starburst kind of effect. And there's just a smoky, starry background behind them. It's, it's really good. Uh, the variant is awesome. I love the variant on this. It is a Supergirl opening, you know, a white button-down shirt, Clark Kent style, to expose her very stylized S of her uniform and we're looking up from about waist level and her the top half of her head is obscured by the Supergirl logo and uh it's it's very nice. I I like this cover a lot. It's very effective. Um my again my only quibble with Bangles covers is that they do make Kara look older than she's supposed to be. the series like she's supposed to be i think a high school junior or sophomore so 15 or 16 and bangles covers make her look more like she's probably 20 or 21 but they're still really really good they're they're great so we open with supergirl in new 52 superman's fortress of solitude which has of course since been co-opted by our superman And where she is being confronted by the, I say, new Cyborg Superman. Um, I did not realize that this Cyborg Superman was a part of Supergirl's new 52 series. I have not read that yet. It is in the reading rotation. I'm going to start it very shortly. Um, Because there is a lot going on in early rebirth. Apparently, that is calling back to new fifty two so I really do want to get caught up um, i don't love supergirl's costume in that era, or at least from the waist down from the waist up it's really cool um, and uh at first she's in shock, and then we have a series of panels of a close up of her face being seen through cyborg superman's perspective and from a very computerized grid look with lots of overlapping things zeroing in on her eyes and Kryptonian script being translated in English saying, identifying subject, subject identified Kara Zor-El. And what I think is neat about the way that Brian Ching renders Supergirl is she kind of looks like Dakota Fanning, like a a teenage Dakota Fanning, which is neat. Um, I don't know if that's intentional, but that's the effect, as it comes across to me, and Dakota Fanning's a good actor, so you know that works. And so the next page we see uh, the cyborg Superman standing there, and he has revealed himself to her as being her father, Zorel. Now, apparently, they have fought before in her series, and he did not make this known to her. But we're going to get into that. And again, I I talked about this the last time that we covered this issue, which was a while ago. It's the the bi-monthly books are just killing the monthly books in the podcast rotation. And if you're a huge fan of the monthly books, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm for the most part going by the release date. So it was just, you know, the Superman and action comics are going to take up the majority of the, of the spotlight. But um, I did talk about this last time where he, um, Zor-El's, uh, assuming it really is zor his cyborg look is much more symmetrical than that of Hank Henshaw. It's the top half of his face from his upper lip to the top of his head that looks, the only thing that looks even remotely human, everything from his jaw down is entirely robotic, and even his face has robotic eyes, and there's bits of metal protruding from his face, like the space between his brows on the ridge of his, above the bridge of his nose, and then a couple bits on his forehead, but everything else down is blue and gray and black, you know, metal, plastic, alloy, whatever, with glowing circuitry showing beneath. it. it's a cool look. I'll give it that. And his uh, his right hand is glowing. And I think that's supposed to be, I don't know if it's, well, we don't really get a reference to it. I think it's just supposed to be like a, like a power beam, you know, powering up Iron Man style in the palm of his hand. It kind of looks like a chunk of red kryptonite the way it's drawn. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And so uh, Supergirl does reference how they fought in the past. And he can't be her father. And why wouldn't, you know, if he really was, he would have said there before. And, you know, you can't be my father. You've tried to kill me multiple times. And he says, I was not myself then. And he kind of hovers down to stand next to her. And, um oh you know, he's holding a... He's holding a sunstone in his hand. it's not supposed to be a piece of kryptonite. That's one thing that bugs me about the whole sunstone thing the the crystals that em- empower the the um the fortress of solitude. You know, sometimes they're white, sometimes they're red. It's weird that they're called sunstones when they're white. It makes more sense when they're red, but then they end up looking like red kryptonite. so whatever um. And he says that the sunstone he's holding holds the final census of Argo City, information on every citizen. And with it, he can give her everything she wants and bring Argo City back. And um, she walks up to him and places her hand restrainingly on his shoulder and says, You're a murderer, you're not just walking out of here. And that's when a bunch of spikes grow out of his shoulder and he says, Don't touch me, the senses are automatic, and which is pretty neat. And then he blat—he does the, um, like, thunder clap thing where super strong characters will smack their hands together really hard to create a shockwave. I think the first time I ever saw that was in uh, Fantastic Four versus X-Men or X-Men versus Fantastic Four, whichever it is, back in the late 80s. And the thing did that to knock out a bunch of the X-Men, and I thought that was really cool. I like the thing. Um, but he he sends her flying, and he says he's doing this for her own good, and she stands up and says, you know, I'm the only one who decides what's for my own good, and he says he's trying to uh, restore Argo City, and she doesn't belong on Earth, and they fight, and they, they smack each other around a bit, and she grabs a piece of an airplane and hits him with it. And then as he gets closer to her, his body gets more and more robotic. His limbs start to elongate, and more spikes pop out of his rib cage. It's really gnarly looking. I like the, I like this effect a lot. Um, he's, I would say, you know, I mean, if if it's a human brain inside there, I don't even think that's supposed to be real skin on his face. It's probably not supposed to be his real hair, but uh, you know, he he looks almost entirely robotic. It's again, I think it's a really neat look. And so she flies forward and hits him. She knocks off one of his arms, sends a whole of a piece of him flying. And um, she, uh, he falls to the ground and she scans him. And um, she says, the sunstone in your chest, I hear something coming from it. Ilium waves, hyperlight data frequencies. What are you doing? And he says, I'm doing what's needed. And then a beam of light shoots up out of his chest, a beam of red light. And it shoots up out of the fortress. And he says, the Sunstone holds every recorded description of Argo City. With it, I can recreate our world to the finest details. I can finally save Argo. So he's beaming the information he has out. And then, but then, his, then he explodes. And uh, there's a scene of Supergirl just standing there with her hands crossed over her face you know, to protect herself from shrapnel. And um, she says, of course, it was another lie, another fake, a drone, but it exploded. I barely touched it. And um, she says, he cannot be my father after all the times we fought. And, you know, again, that's why I want to go back and read Supergirl's new 52 series, because I, I want to read about all those times that they fought. So later, we have Supergirl getting checked in at the National City Penitentiary called The Ditch. She's being scanned in, and she's meeting up with her foster mother eliza and so just like on the supergirl t v show uh supergirl works for the d e o the Department of Ex-Normal operations uh her foster parents are elijah uh, i'm sorry Eliza and Jeremiah Danvers, only instead of being found by them when she was a preteen, like on the show. She came to earth as a teenager and agreed to work for the DEO and was assigned the Danvers as her foster parents. And their job is to teach her how to fit into human society and they're also her handlers. You know, she is a, she's an asset and they're the ones who kind of make sure that she stays on track. And so she's talking to eliza as they're walking through this prison and there's all these all these criminals uh or convicts i should say inside the cells glaring out at them and eliza's saying that she understands why supergirl had to fly off why she had to go to the fortress she just wishes that supergirl wouldn't go without authorization and sometimes an escort because Unlike Clark, um, both versions, New 52, our version that that we're covering here on the show, who grew up on Earth and had a few decades to learn his powers. Supergirl's only been here a few months, story-wise, of course, not publication-wise, but in the continuity of the story. She's only been on Earth a few months. She's still learning her powers, and they're not entirely under the best control. It's kind of like a new warrior situation or a new mutant situation. Teenager develops powers. Teenager is very powerful. Teenager does not have the finest control over these abilities, which I think is neat. And so, um, Eliza says that she covered for Supergirl and that's when we go to a cell with a guy in it named Mastracola. And in episode one, we saw where this guy was a terrorist who was on a bullet train going outside of National City and he was using some kind of device to steal people's data from their personal devices which he was then gonna turn around to sell to the highest bidder for blackmail purposes or whatever and his main target on the train was Cat Grant who we'll talk about in a little bit but she's going to visit him in a cell and he says, she's asking how he's doing. he says, what do you care? You put me here. And the cell, instead of um, bars, his cell has like an energy field. And so Supergirl passes through it. And um, he says, I stopped you from hurting innocent people and I would do it again. But that does not mean I don't want to help you too. So please sit down. I will, if you will talk, I would love to listen, which is neat. Uh, I, I like the idea. Of heroes especially the Superman family wanting to help everybody and even if those people um, have done wrong they want to give them the opportunity to do better and that's that's really awesome so from there we go to National City Technical High School and some time has passed and Cat Grant is there and she is on stage during an assembly (laughs) I love I'm really, really coming to love Steve Orlando's writing, especially how he writes Cat Grant's dialogue. And uh, she says, Cat Grant, let's be honest, you know my name. And while we're being honest, I've influenced you more than your own parents. Yes, they gave you food, food, shelter, and feelings of inadequacy. But I kept you safe and fed on a rich diet of Daily Planet brand gossip, celebrity gossip, and schadenfreude. And now that that's, now, nah, that's over now. I've begun a new venture, CatCo Worldwide Media. Again, parallel to the show. I've watched this world at its worst, and I'm ready to do my best to change it. The Young Innovators program is key to that. And we see this audience full of bored teenagers. Um, and Cat is saying, Today, one of you demonstrating exceptional perception and forethought will join my Young Innovators. All you need to do is answer one question. What is CatCo's biggest obstacle to success? And again, we have a shot of the teenagers in the audience, and some are yawning, and most are just checking their phones. And after a pause, Kara, who's in the audience, and when she's not being Supergirl, she wears very dress-down clothes, just jeans and a hoodie and a jacket over the hoodie, And glasses and she's got brown hair, which is interesting, and we'll talk about in just a minute because I'd brought up last issue. I didn't know if that was supposed to be a wig or what. But as Kara starts to speak, she's cut off by another by another student, a guy named Ben Rubel, who we met briefly last issue of the series, who thought Kara in school was interesting and intriguing. Um, but he also sees her as competition. And so he stands up and says, the biggest obstacle to CatCo's success is Cat Grant. And Cat pauses and makes a shrewd face and says, welcome to CatCo, Mr. Rubel. And so after the assembly, the students are milling around in the hallway. And with her super hearing, Kara is hearing people say, you see, Danvers, the new kid couldn't even get a word in. Who's Ben Rubel? Does he even go here? Um, and so as Kara's walking along, Kat says, you, I know who you are. And so she says, um, uh, Kat, uh, sorry, Kat says, she's a personal friend of Terry Kurtzberger. She showed me your application for her physics prize. And she goes on to say, you're one of the smartest people in this building, but I saw you in there. You were about to speak and you doubted yourself. And in that instant, someone else stole your moment. Life is about action. The minute you even begin to doubt yourself, you fall in with the herd. Yet I feel the urge to pluck you from underneath the bison's hooves. I'm going to give you a rare second chance. My office tomorrow. Don't bring your angst. which is pretty fun. So the next day um, in National City, Catco on the seventh floor of the Ordman building. I almost wish it was the Ordway building. That'd be a great callback. I'm not sure what the Ordman building is. I don't think it's supposed to be a reference to anything. But um, Kara goes into CatCo's office, and she sits down with Cat. Before, well, before she can even sit down, Cat stops her and says, So, Kara Danvers, let's begin. Why CatCo? Why the young innovators? Why you right now jittering in my office? I slung gossip for years, Kara. Malnursing swill, but it gave me power and network catco is how i use that power i want to create a new kind of media but if anyone could be a catco reporter anywhere in the world if they wanted to what mr ruble said is true i'm the biggest thing standing in the way of that i don't have all the answers for how we build catco but i imagine as i imagine it but it's amateurs to think that i do uh, to build the Catkill ic open source news available to everyone i need a new think tank with access to all levels giving me tomorrow's ideas today i need the best young minds like you i need young innovators and um and car is just standing there waiting for waiting for cat to ask her a question and cat says speak and car says you didn't ask me anything and Kara says, and Kat says, I didn't have to. I took a body language seminar just by standing here and hearing the idea. You've already told me everything I need to know. And So next we see a few minutes later where Kara is storming out saying to herself, my office will be in touch. What does that mean? And as she leaves, she runs into Ben Rubel. He's getting off the elevator and he says, well, what are you doing here? She picked me to be here too. She goes, that's funny. She asked me to come Anyway. And so they have a fun little back and forth, like kind of a kind of a smart, you know, like I'm the smartest person in the room jab. uh, uh let's see, and he says, uh, I've noticed you when you're working class. She says, it's nice you think you're in my class. <laughs> um and and he says, you know, this isn't this, you know, that's funny, this isn't class. And she says, I know this time you'll have to do more than cut me off. And he says something I think is really interesting. He said, it's my best chance to show my parents, show everyone how stupid they were to throw me out. So Ben was thrown out by his parents. That is fascinating. I want to know more about that story. I have a suspicion why, but I don't want to speculate. So next we show Kara flying back into her bedroom in the Danvers Brownstone. And, um, from downstairs, Eliza says that she can, she can sense Kara sneaking in and Kara says, uh, it's been fine. It's been a strange couple of days. I just need a few minutes to lie down. And as she takes off her glasses, the holographic effect of her brown hair fades and we see her blonde hair. So I'm guessing that the glasses contain the holographic projector. so as she's in her version of laying down is just hovering horizontally above the floor which is pretty neat and she starts talking to herself in kryptonese she goes as if every day since i got to earth hasn't been strange but then we see one of her hands begins to glow and it glows blue and then a electronic word bobble pops out of her hand and says kara and it's supposed to be cyborg superman And she says, you, what is this? And then we see the glow has covered her whole body. And we can actually see her skull through her face, which is neat. And he says, shrapnel from our last meeting, daughter, a microscopic sliver embedded in your skin that will connect us. And then we see Cyborg Superman's memory that Kara had in the last issue where she'd been taking fossil samples uh, on Krypton before its destruction when she was younger, when she was probably 10 or 11, and how she thought of helping. It was her, her way of thinking was that taking fossil samples was like helping the fossilized animals escape from their fossilization in some way. And so we see the exact memory from his point of view. And that's where we also see Kara working with her mom. Um and how and he says that it had taken cycles for the two of them to conceive but finally we'd all given up hope when you came to us alora Alura cherished you and he talks about how um uh they had left uh Argo City had left uh Krypton before it exploded and um he was thinking about how Jor-El couldn't save Krypton and all he could do We'll save Cal. And then we get a neat little bit that said, my brother couldn't even save himself from destruction, much less Krypton. I would at least save Argo City and then bring you home. But I failed. And um, desperate, I submitted myself to Brainiac. I needed his technology and tools to preserve Argo. I failed again, became a puppet with no memory of who I was. I came to Earth to execute his orders, and there you were. I couldn't stop myself. We battled, but seeing you, even fighting against me, jarred something loose, something inside me, hope. I couldn't forget your face, driving me fight to fight back against Brainiac's control. I rebelled, and I nearly died. So, the explanation as to why... If this really is zor he didn't reveal himself previously when they fought. is because he'd been mind-wiped by a brainiac when he was turned into a cyborg. And from what I get, um, Argo City was suffering from red kryptonite poisoning. And it was finally uh, it was fighting Kara that eventually uh, brought his memory back. And so uh, he says, I truly am your father. And as the as the blue light fades and she floats down to the bed, she says, "I saw myself as only he could. It's impossible, but I saw it. You are my father. You're him. You're Zorel. And he says, "I've mastered Brainiac's programming, bent his technology to my will. It has let me keep my promises. Argo City nears perfection. It is time for you to join us." And she says, "Where is it?" And he he says, "Open your eyes." And she looks up with her x-ray vision through the roof of the brownstone and her telescopic vision out into space. And he says, it's only a few hundred million miles. Don't you see it? Don't you see your home? And we get a shot of Argo City out in space somewhere. And he says, you've suffered long enough on Earth. Finally, your exile is over. Join us, daughter. And we see a figure in red standing in the middle of Argo City. And as we zoom in, we see a series of red glowing eyes. We zoom in further, we see the figure in red is Kara's mother, Allura, and she has gone through the cyborgization process as well, and there are a bunch of people in shadow uh in she, and they all have red glowing eyes, and the cyborg says, your new life awaits, don't be afraid, meet it with me and your mother at your side, and that's a cool ending, this is that's got kind of a horror movie vibe to it. It's almost a like a, a zombie kind of thing, or maybe like the flood from Halo. That's really cool because the way they're standing, the way they're just perfectly still, really does give out kind of a zombie vibe. So yeah, I'm I am really enjoying this series. Again, I'm not very far into it. I'm not reading ahead because I want. The series that I haven't previously read to be a pleasant surprise to me as I go through are hopefully a pleasant surprise so far. Supergirl and um, New Superman and only slightly less Superwoman have been very pleasant surprises. Um, Justice League, not so much. But again, we're not going to be covering that again for a while. So, yeah, um, I have been reading a lot of other of Steve Orlando's stuff, I started reading the 2015 Midnighter series, which I really like, um, I'm looking, f- I, I, I started reading the Midnighter backups in Action Comics in the current run, and I could, I had no idea what was going on, but I want to know more about Midnighter because of Israel, and the War World saga, and Superman, and the Authority, and all that, so I'm, I'm doing in a... A Midnighter and Apollo Deep Dive, and I'm really, really liking Steve Orlando's writing in general. I'm looking forward to eventually getting to his Martian Manhunter series. But, yeah, that is it as far as this issue goes. I really like uh, Ching's artwork. It's very—it's it's, kind of cartoony. And it's kind of anime-ish, which normally isn't my thing. But given our subject matter, it really works. Um, I, I appreciate that they actually make teenage Supergirl look like a teenager. That That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so good good stuff all around. So that is the end of the comics for this episode. So I'm going to take a short break, and then I'll come back and wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 24 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. Now, I am putting this out the day after Mother's Day. It'll be kind of late in the afternoon by the time I get it. Sorry. It was a busy weekend because it was Mother's Day. If that is something you celebrate, I hope it was a good one for you. I know that there are a lot of people out there who deliberately choose not to celebrate Mother's Day for mental and emotional self-care reasons. And if that's you, I hope you had an excellent day anyway anyway. Just celebrating how awesome you are. Now, if you enjoy the way I talk about superheroes in general, and Superman specifically, you may want to check out my Twitter, at About Superman, where I do a reading rotation of different eras of DC Comics. Uh, right now, from 1996, I'm talking about Final Night, among other comics. From the late 2000s, I'm talking about Final Crisis and those comics that came out around it. Um, I have just added the New 52 into my rotation starting with Justice League number one. Um, I'm talking about from the late 2010s uh, Superman Reborn and the comics that came out around that time. And I'm also talking about various comics that came out in the last couple years. So, you may want to check that out. I think it's always a good time, but you be the judge. Now, if you are enjoying what I'm doing, and you'd like to support me in my endeavors, my endeavors, <laughs> I invite you to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. Every month there, I do at least one episode uh, exclusive for the patrons about my favorite post crisis classic superman stories i just put out the brainiac trilogy this past week so you may want to go check that out there are i think a total of 5 episodes up now and it's a pretty good time uh if you want to support the show but you are not ready to fork over that hard earned cash you can always give me a five star review wherever you listen to the podcast that helps me out tremendously in the algorithms that are our internet overlords now next episode uh, for episode 25 um, because I started recording this episode uh, shortly before uh, the news of George Perez's untimely and tragic death um, I am going to be doing a special George Perez tribute episode I am going to do a double-sized episode where I'm going to talk about the uh, JLA Avengers miniseries from the early 2000s, which was written by Kurt Busiek and drawn by George Perez. And um, I know that Crisis is amazing from his art, and he has done a ton of other great things, but I love JLA Avengers. And I want to give a special shout out to my friend Dan from the Excalibos excalibros podcast for helping me make that happen um again that will be coming your way next week hopefully it it may be a little bit late i'm just going to give you a heads up it is more than i usually am uh have the time to put into a podcast so if it's not ready by monday it should be ready by tuesday or wednesday Uh, but it will definitely be coming out next week one way or the other But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love ya.